Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Crossover Across Time podcast for our Friday episode for week 13 of the 2023-2024 NBA season. I'm your host, Karsten. Welcome to the show. Um, Whether you have been listening to the show for a long time, you just started, uh, or this is your very first episode, we just want to express our appreciation. We want to thank you for your support of the show, and uh, thanks for tuning in. We uh, are happy to be able to do this for you, and uh, we've got a good amount to talk about today. Hopefully a little bit more lighthearted after some some tough times over the last couple of days for the NBA family. We're still recovering from that loss uh, of head coach, uh, not head coach, but assistant coach, a, a well-regarded assistant coach, Dayan uh, Um, But, uh, you know, we're going to we're going we're gonna to persist. We're going to carry on with uh the NBA season, of course, and and we at our at the crossover across time podcast, we're going to continue with with what we want to do, um, and uh, of course that means starting with our uh, five on five drill, six men, um, which is of course just recapping the last couple of nights of action as well as our latest key news from around the league. All right, we're going to start on Wednesday night with a matchup of the Central Division, the Cleveland Cavaliers hosting the Milwaukee Bucks. And uh, I'll just start off. I mean, not much of a contest in this one. 40-point margin of victory for the Cavaliers, the home team. 135-95, to your final score. That's the Cavs' sixth straight victory. Uh, They started the game on a 20-2 run. Just a dominant performance from the Cavs. Um, impressive, especially with some of the injury concerns and, and roster um, shakeups they've had over the last month or so, uh, a little more than a month. But uh, they led by as many as 47 points in this game, uh, early fourth quarter. Um, just dominant. I mean, kind of a, a stark, you know, not stark, but a, a severe outcome maybe is the way to phrase it. Of course, the Bucks without Giannis Antetokounmpo, so that's certainly a factor, but they still had Lillard, they had Beasley, Brook Lopez, Middleton. Uh, you know, they had plenty of players to at least keep it competitive, and you consider, you know, Cleveland being without both Darius Garland still and uh, Evan Mobley, uh, it's definitely a tough loss for Milwaukee to take. Uh, Cavs out-rebounded the Bucks, out-assisted them, uh, and shot leaps and bounds better from the floor and from three-point range. Um, not surprising. There was a bright note for the Bucks. Uh, some s- record notes for uh, Brooke Lopez, their starting center, of course, an underrated center. He became the 11th uh, seven-foot-tall player with 16,000 career points. That's quite a impressive point total, um, especially considering his uh, non-scoring-heavy role over the past Oh, five or six seasons at this point. It's been a long time. Uh, it's been, you know, you have to go back to 2017, 2018 ish, uh, 2017, especially to a time where he was a featured offensive player. Of course, his years with the Brooklyn Nets, he was a great scorer uh, in that time frame. But 16,000 career points, uh, 10 other uh, seven footers, the likes of, you know, Akeem Olajuwon and uh, Wilt Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul Jabbar, Dirk Nowitzki. Um, there's some surprising names in there too, like uh, Robert Parrish uh, is a name that was in there. Um, but that said, you know, Brooke Lopez even 
may not get quite that comparison to a, a Robert Parrish, but uh, maybe we start having that conversation about how solid Brooke Lopez has been throughout his career. Um, Hall of Fame might be um, a big ask, but uh, he's been impressive and he's been a effector of winning. So anyways, bright spot for Milwaukee in this one. Otherwise, it was all Cleveland. Um, but we'll quick run through the remaining uh, box score numbers for Milwaukee. Uh, Lopez finished with 11 points and three blocks in the game. Uh, their leading score was Damian Lillard, though. 17 points, uh, a tough night shooting the ball. 16 points off the bench for Bobby Portis. He was fairly efficient. 15 points from Jay Crowder in his return. That's another bright spot. Uh, Jay Crowder is back from injury. That'll certainly help their questions of depth. Uh, that'll be a big help to them. And he shot fairly efficiently, especially with the first game back. You take that into consideration. Uh, and then they got 13 points from Cameron Payne, uh, one of his better shooting games. Still a rough night for the Bucks, below 30% as a team from three-point range. Meanwhile, for Cleveland, they were led by uh, Donovan Mitchell, first of all, 31 points, seven assists, five boards, and three steals, uh, 63% from the floor, four of eight from three. Great game, but then he wasn't even their leading scorer. Their leading scorer was George Niang, the former jazz man. Of course, I'm going to latch on to that, but Niang, that is his career high, 33 points, uh, five boards as well he was five of six from three and shot 92 percent from the floor his only miss that one three-point attempt that he missed 14 shots 13 of them made and again five of six from three lights out shooting uh the minivan his nickname uh one of my favorites i was sad to see him go uh but glad to see him flourishing alongside his former jazz teammate in Mitchell uh, with, with the Cavs. You know, I don't mind to see the Cavs do well. Uh, Jarrett Allen with a uh, double, double 21 points, 13 rebounds in this game. And then two players with 10 points each, Sam Merrill and Isaac Okoro. Okoro with seven assists, Merrill with five assists and five rebounds. Great stuff to see for Cleveland, especially again with the injury troubles, um, the chance to get Darius Garland, a former all-star back, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, and maybe Evan Mobley in the near future as well, with how well these other guys are starting to play. Mitchell has been uh, willing this team to winning basketball. Um, we'll have maybe more to talk about them with our, our power rankings. Uh, we haven't talked as much about the Cavs in detail. That was certainly one reason I wanted to focus on this game. But it was a big uh, you know, margin of victory. Credit to Cleveland for getting a win like this against Milwaukee. Even without Giannis, you figure they're going to be a, a, a good challenge. Uh, so great to see that for the Cavaliers, a great win. And that is our first game that we want to talk about. Let's jump to the next game from Wednesday night. Down in uh, Atlanta with the Atlanta Hawks hosting the Orlando Magic in a down-to-the-wire game. Let me give you the numbers here. Uh, 20 different times in this game. Uh, the score was it was a tied score so that's crazy 19 different lead changes that's pretty wild uh back and forth no one led by more than seven points at any at any time in this game in the fourth quarter no lead was greater than four um or even three for that matter uh just trading blows it was a prize fight for sure the magic uh, had a lot more defensive type numbers than the Hawks and the Hawks had more turnovers. Um, but the difference was the Hawks shot a lot better from the floor and uh, that helped, you know, close the gap in that category, I suppose. Um, but credit to both Palo and Caro, uh, who was able to tie the game again with about eight seconds left before DeJounte Murray, 
won the game with a go-ahead uh, contested type shot uh, to beat the buzzer and to win the game for Atlanta, uh, especially credit to DeJounte for that type of shot. Um, you know, at times for Atlanta, the season has not been that great. Um, they're still below 500, but we know they have talent and they can win games. Um, and uh, against a struggling Magic team, they're able to get a, a nice win like that. Uh, credit to Atlanta for that one. As far as the box score goes, uh, for the Magic, they were led by Bancaro, 26 points, four boards, four assists, with two steals and a block as well. Not great, very efficient from the floor, 32% overall, 8 of 25. Um, so that's a bit rough, but still led the effort. Uh, they got 18 off the bench from the recently returned Wendell Carter Jr. Glad to see him back on the floor, uh, who also had two steals and a block, five rebounds. They got 16 points from Jalen Suggs, who was three of three from the, th- the th- uh, three-point line. Not to mention Wendell Carter was three of four from the three-point line. Um, and then they got uh, 10 points each from three different players. Gogo Batadze, who also had 10 rebounds and two blocks at that starting center spot. Uh, Markel Fultz, who had three steals. And then Cole Anthony, who had three blocks and a steal. Um, there's a lot to like from that Indian, from that Orlando rather box score. But uh, for Atlanta, they were led by, yes, to John Tim Murray, 26 points, five boards, five assists, and two steals, five turnovers, but uh, shot 61% from the floor. So, you know. You take what you can get. Uh, Trey Young, 18 points, 12 assists, eight turnovers. That's definitely rough. Um, again, Atlanta just turned the ball over more, but they shot much more efficiently. So that made up the difference. Um, and yeah, Trey Young, 35% from the floor. But the other guys still uh, 15 points from Onyeko Kongu off the bench, who had 58% shooting numbers, uh, 12 points each for both Bogdan Bogdanovich and Clint Capella. And then uh, 10 points for Jalen Johnson, who also had nine boards, two steals, and a, a pretty nice poster dunk in the game as well. So a scrappy game for both teams. Uh, things to like from the, some of the younger guys and emerging players on both teams, but uh, a good win for Atlanta. And uh, that's our second game that we wanted to talk about. Our final game, uh, we're going to go down to uh, or over uh, out west to Los Angeles and the Lakers hosting the Dallas Mavericks. Definitely a, a marquee-type matchup. Um, two of the teams that get a lot more attention. Bigger markets, but certainly star-powered teams as well. Um, and Los Angeles, great second half. It was a close first half through and through. Uh, no team led by more than 10 in the first half, but then the Lakers had a great third-quarter run uh, to take the lead and keep it for good in this game. Um Looking at the box score for the Mavericks first, Luka Doncic, 33 points, 13 rebounds, and 10 assists. Yet another triple-double for him, and a 30-plus point triple-double for that matter. With this game, he tied LeBron for third all-time on the list of career 30-point triple-double games uh, with 37 such games. Uh, He managed to do that in 999 fewer games than it took LeBron James. Make of that what you will. Um, but he is third now tied with LeBron, uh, the two ahead of him. Westbrook is in second with 48, 30 point triple doubles. And then Oscar Robertson first 106, 30 point triple doubles. You know, now there's the bait Westbrook or Robertson, as far as the king of the triple double, uh, Robertson still comes out ahead in some areas. Westbrook comes out ahead in others. Uh, it's a close debate. I think that's, that's fun for both of those guys to be very close. Um, but 
again, it was Los Angeles controlling the game. As far as the other contributors for Dallas, uh, Derek Lively, the second, the rookie, had 16 points, 11 rebounds, and then 12 points each for both Kyrie Irving and Tim Hardaway Jr. Um, again, that's kind of a theme that we talked about especially a lot last year, but now it's coming up again. It's reminding me of last season and these conversations about Dallas. Luka can't do it all on his own. And you figured when they brought Kyrie in, that's consistent high scoring. And then he has a night like this where he's scoring only 12 points and shooting 25% from the floor. Not going to happen very often, but it, you know, when it does, it can really hurt your chances to win. Uh, but it also didn't help the Mavericks that the Lakers had some great performances of their own, uh, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and of course, the Angelo Russell, they combined for more than 80 points in this game. Uh, that was, let's see, 82 points, I believe, in this game. Uh, leading scorer, D'Angelo Russell with 29, uh, 5 of 7 from 3, 55% from the floor. Then they got 28 points, 12 rebounds, and 9 assists, the near triple-double for Anthony Davis uh, in short order uh, after his second career triple-double against Utah uh, a steal and a block for AD as well. And then LeBron, 25 points, eight boards, eight assists, uh, three of seven from three-point range. Um, that 82 points, phenomenal. But more importantly, the 25 points at least from all three of those guys, a trio with 25 points each, um, that is the most in the league, uh, or they have the most such instances of that in the league this year. That's the third time they've done that. Russell, uh Davis and LeBron, that specific trio, the third time that those guys have each scored 25 points in a game. Second is the Kings, I believe, with Darren Fox, Damana Sabonis, and Keegan Murray. Uh, those guys have had 25 points each in a game twice. This is the third time for the Lakers trio. Again, leads the league. And I think that's a big point when we've been talking about the Lakers struggling in the last month or so. Um D'Angelo Russell is as great as Austin Reeves' emergence was last season, and we know he can be dynamic. D'Angelo Russell is really there to be a scorer. You know, he can do some other things. He's got good size, and he's he's a distributor in some senses, but really he needs to be able to hit the, the spot-up jumpers. He can create shots for himself. He can drive in. He is there for his offense and his scoring abilities, and we haven't seen – a consistent, you know, steady 20 plus points from D'Angelo Russell. There's been games like this. There's games like the one he had against Utah where he had 39 points, I think. And then he'll have a game where he scores 15 or he scores 12. Um, and so if Russell can be more consistent with the scoring, they get that from him. That lessens the scoring workload for, for AD and LeBron. And uh, other guys can have success because – I don't know. It it's le you know, LeBron and AD aren't having to do as much scoring, and especially in LeBron's case, he can then focus more on what he prefers to do. You know, LeBron will get his points, but he likes to distribute and run the, the offense and get guys in good position. And if Russell's hitting those open shots, then it gets kind of a a rhythm and a um a swagger maybe and going for the team. And so, you know, I think that's going to be huge. If the Lakers want to start winning a bunch of games and and moving back up the standings, they need D'Angelo Russell to to 
be better offensively. And so that's a good game for him and a, a good indicator, hopefully, for what is possible for the Lakers going forward. Uh, they also got 14 points from Austin Reeve, seven assists from him. He hit both of his three-point attempts. Very solid game for the Lakers, a big win against a, a tough team in the Mavericks. And uh, that is our last game from Wednesday night. Our final two games that we're focusing on, we're going to start in Utah with the Jazz losing, unfortunately, for my uh, purposes as a Jazz fan. Uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder, though, uh, one of the top teams in the NBA, full stop. They won in Utah against the Jazz. Close game, 134 to 129. Um, one of the consistent top teams in the West in the Thunder and a team that's rapidly rising in the West in the Jazz. Um, but the Thunder still get the the win in Utah and Salt Lake City. That ended the Jazz's six-game win streak. So, um it was a great run, and I'm hoping that we can start to build a, a win streak up again. But, you know, credit to the Thunder. Again, they are a great team, um, and I'm just glad that we had a, a competitive game, uh, to be honest with you. As far as the Jazz box score, they still had a lot of great things uh, to look for. Colin Sexton led them in scoring 31.7 assists. He was 4 of 7 from 3, 52% overall, 7 of 10 from the free throw line. And he also had a great poster dunk um, against a couple of Thunder defenders. They also got 26 points and 10 rebounds from Larry Markinen, uh 53% from the floor, 10 of 11 from the free throw line, 21 points from John Collins starting at center still. They got 18 off the bench from Jordan Clarkson, the uh, former sixth man of the year winner, who also had five assists. He was three of five from three. Uh, they got 11 rebounds off the bench from Walker Kessler and then 12 points from Simone Fontecchio as well. Um, so, not bad for Utah, but you look at the Thunder, Shea Alexander, 31 points, six rebounds, six assists, a steal and a block. He was 15 of 17 from the free throw line, and uh, that's big to be able to hit those free throws, but he's been an MVP candidate uh, all year, really, and it's only now that people are starting to realize that a little bit more and more um, as the Thunder continue to win. Uh, he's been great, so... Props to him for that type of a game. Uh, they got 27 points and eight assists from Santa Clara, Jalen Williams, uh, who also had two steals and two blocks. They got 20 points, 10 rebounds, and six assists from Josh Giddy. Uh, 16 points from Kaysen Wallace, the rookie starting, um, who also had a steal and a block. And then Chet Holmgren, 15 points, five boards, five assists, but also four blocks in the game. Uh, just versatile. The starters really carrying it for the Thunder. Outside of that, the bench guys didn't have a ton of offense. Uh, Kenrich Williams had nine points. Uh, a couple of guys had six, and that was mostly it. But uh, that Thunder lineup, when you have Jalen Williams, who is so capable, you, you'd be curious to see what he can do, what he could do on a team if it was his team to run it. In the sense, you know, if he was a year or two down the line, for whatever reason, became too valuable for the Thunder, you know, they've amassed too much talent. It's almost like the the 2012 Thunder when they had to lose uh, James Harden, who then became an MVP-type candidate himself. Um, and I'm not guaranteeing anything with Jalen Williams, but he's really intriguing. He does a lot of things well. He has games of high rebounds. He has games of high assists defensively. And, of course, we know he can score. So I'd be really intrigued if he continues to grow and suddenly there's a team that offers a, a great deal for the Thunder to bring him in and he becomes a franchise player. Um, 
I think it could happen, but uh, you know, the Thunder are a great team right now. That's really what we want to focus on and what you have to focus on. And they're going to be a problem in the West. And uh, that's the uh, fourth game. We wanted to talk about our final game from last night. Again, is uh, the Indiana Pacers winning in Sacramento against the Kings, 126 to 121. The rematch of, you know, Damata Sabonis against his former team and the Pacers. The same is true for Tyrese Halliburton. Halliburton did not play in this game, uh, but some of those storylines are still prevalent. Firstly, for the Kings, despite the loss, uh, Damata Sabonis became, uh, or he actually took sole possession of 11th place all-time career triple-doubles. He has 44 career triple doubles now. And, uh, you know, that's cool. But this was Sacramento's fourth straight loss. That's definitely going to be worth noting in uh, next week's power rankings. I'm sure that will be a topic of conversation. Um, concerning for the Kings, especially where Fox is healthy, Sabonis is healthy, Keegan Murray's healthy, Monk is off the bench playing well. You wonder what's not gelling at the moment. Uh, maybe trade rumors had something to do with it. Who knows, really? None of us really know. Um, but again, it will be a talking point, I'm sure. But credit to uh, the Pacers without Halliburton in this game, being able to get a win, and they've stayed winning without Halliburton. Um, not a knock against Halliburton. It just shows the luxury and value of having a guy like TJ McConnell as a backup point guard. Um, I think that's really been a benefit to the Pacers at this time, as far as box score for the Kings, they were led by Kevin Herter. Actually, he led them in scoring with 31 points. He was seven of 12 from the three point range. Uh, lights out shooting for Herter. They got 27 points and nine rebounds from Keegan Murray, the sophomore, who also had two steals and a block. They got 24 points from De'Aaron Fox, six rebounds, six assists. And then Demata Sabonis's triple double was 21 points, 11 rebounds. 10 assists, not bad games. It's it's really confusing. Malik Monk, only nine points off the bench, maybe a factor, but um, for the Pacers, they were led by uh, Benedict Matherin, 25 points for him, two blocks, a steal. Uh, they got 20 points, 10 assists from TJ McConnell. They, had, they got 18 points from Miles Turner, 17 points, 13 rebounds from Jalen Smith starting in this game, 12 points, eight assists from Buddy Heald, uh, 15 points off the bench from Jarris Walker, the rookie, who was three of eight from three, and then 10 points for Obi Toppin. Well-balanced scoring efforts from the Pacers, um, just a little bit better than uh, the the best four for the Kings. And that's really all you can say. Props to the Pacers for winning. And uh, Halliburton could potentially be returning soon. We'll get to that in just a moment. As far as the other games, we didn't have a chance to go more in-depth on. We'll start on Wednesday with the Minnesota Timberwolves winning in Detroit against the Pistons, 124 to 117, overcoming Jaden Ivey's 32 points. That's Minnesota's third straight win. Uh, then the Toronto Raptors won at home against the Miami Heat, 121 to 97. And uh, wanted to note their opening play they ran was a play that uh, the Raptors head coach, uh, Darko, learned from Dejan Milijevich. So that was a great tribute. Uh, guys that knew each other well uh, from a, a few different moments in their their lives, uh, kind of crossing paths to to run a tribute like that, I think was was a great way uh, to 
you know, honor his legacy. Um, the Raptors got uh, a season high 28 points and eight three pointers from uh, Gary Trent Jr., not to mention 26 points from RJ Barrett to lead them in that effort and that win. Uh, the New York Knicks won at home against the Houston Rockets 109 to 94, overcoming a double double. 24 points, 12 assists from Fred Van Vliet. Uh, Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson each had 30 points in the game. Uh, that is the fourth time they've done that in the last eight games. Scary stuff for the opponents of the Knicks when those two were scoring very well. Kind of goes to what we've talked about with Barrett now. It, it seems good in the scoring senses of all three guys where now Barrett has the opportunity to score more in Toronto. And Brunson and Randall have the opportunity to score more uh, while they're still in New York. So interesting stuff there. The Boston Celtics won at home against the San Antonio Spurs, one seventeen to ninety eight, beating Victor Wembanyama. But of course, the Celtics are now twenty and zero at home, uh, twenty straight wins, no losses at home to start the season. That is tied for the eleventh best start in NBA history. It's already the best in their illustrious franchise history. But now they're knocking on the door of NBA history. Um, I forget what the top in the, the top team was. I'd have to look at that list again. Um, but yeah, great, uh, great runs that the Celtics have had in those games. A great start to the season, uh, certainly, as they're one of the top teams, maybe the top team still in the NBA. Next, the New Orleans Pelicans won at home against the Charlotte Hornets, one thirty-two to one twelve. Brandon Ingram with a twenty-eight point. 10 rebound and 10 assists, triple-double. That's his third career triple-double. The Pelicans had a franchise record 25 three-pointers made in the game, and their first quarter in particular was lights out, uh, to say the least. Let me go ahead and find those first quarter stats for you. 43 points by the Pelicans on nearly 70% shooting from the floor and 75% shooting from three-point range, 9 of 12 from the three-point line. Uh, topped off by uh, the fact that they had uh, 16 assists in the game on 16 field goals made, which is uh, it, it tied the highest ratio of assists to turnovers, or not assists to turnovers, assists to field goals made, highest ratio of the play-by-play era. The other two teams to do that, yeah, the exact same 16 assists, 16 field goals made in a quarter. The 1999 Pistons and the 2021 Pistons. I thought that was quite interesting that the Pistons had both of those records. Especially 99, they weren't bad, but they weren't, you know, the the 04 Pistons or 05 Pistons as dominant as those teams were. And the 2021 Pistons, um, if I remember correctly, weren't even a playoff team because Griffin and Drummond would have been gone at that point. Um, that was the year that Cade Cunningham was drafted. Um, so he wasn't on the team at that point, but interesting that the Pistons have both those records, but sometimes that happens, you know, records belong to teams that you might not expect to have it, but regardless, a big win for uh, new Orleans in that one with a great offensive first quarter to kind of set the tone for the rest of the game. Uh, next and finally, actually, the Portland Trailblazers won at home against the Brooklyn Nets in a tight game, 105 to 103, back and forth, very similar to uh, Atlanta and Orlando down to the wire. But then Anthony Simons won it towards the end with a floater, a running floater in the lane. Of course, there would have been one more game 
but the Utah Jazz home date with the Golden State Warriors was postponed um, due to the loss of Coach Milievich. So that game will be rescheduled for a later date. Uh, don't think there's any word on that at this time, but we'll certainly uh, update you guys on that when we can. As far as the other games from Thursday, the Chicago Bulls won in Toronto against the Raptors, 116-110. to 110. Lucevic with a double-double, 24 points and 14 rebounds. And the Bulls closed out the game with a 13-3 run. Uh, so some clutch plays there to win it. The New York Knicks won it at home against the Washington Wizards, 113-109. Uh, overcoming a double-double for Marvin Bagley, the third, the newest, uh, one of the newest Washington Wizards. Uh, 20 points, 11 rebounds, but it was Jalen Brunson, 41 points, eight rebounds, eight assists, and 20 of those points coming in the fourth quarter. Lights out offense for Jalen Brunson. And then finally, the Minnesota Timberwolves won at home against the Memphis Grizzlies, 118-103. to Jaron Jackson Jr. had 36 points for Memphis, but Minnesota had a 37-17 to run in the fourth quarter to win the game. And they also had, at some point in the game, Anthony Edwards, uh, throwing the, a lob to himself off of the backboard for a dunk. Um, yeah, tough to beat Minnesota right now when they're playing like that, but a great run to close out the game. And those are the games from the last couple of nights of action. We'll real quick jump into our key news as well. Uh, just a final note on the Pascal Siakam trade. Part of that, uh, the Toronto Raptors did waive center Christian Coloco um, to make that trade work. Um, it's unfortunate because of course we know that Coloco had been dealing and we haven't really talked about it much on the podcast. Um, but every time I check the injury, uh, logs, you know, the latest injuries to kind of try and stay up to date with what's going on there. Um, Coloco was in there, uh, listed as a respiratory issue. Um, now there's maybe a little bit more light, a little more light being shed on that as maybe a, a blood clotting issue. Definitely scary stuff. And, um, we'll keep you updated with any of that as we can, but we're whatever the case is, we we're wishing him the best and hope that he can uh, figure that out. Whether it's uh, an unfortunate end to a playing career because we've we've seen that in the past with with Chris Bosh, um, or he's able to find a way to continue to play and and have a a, a productive playing career, uh, we want to wish him the best and hope that he finds uh, what's going to make most sense for him. Um, an injury update for the Chicago Bulls. Uh, guard Zach Levine is expected to miss one to two weeks with a right ankle sprain. Um, so frustrating. Of course, he had recently got back. Now he's out for a little bit again. Hopefully he gets back on the floor uh, sooner rather than later. Update for the Pacers. Tyrese Halliburton is available to play tonight, as is the recently acquired Pascal Siakam. So they are set to debut tonight in Portland versus the Trailblazers. Definitely adds a lot more intrigue to that type of a game. Uh, should be interesting to watch out for. Uh, for the Golden State Warriors, we mentioned, of course, the Wednesday game in Utah was postponed. Uh, well, tonight's game at home versus the Dallas Mavericks has been postponed as well. Uh, to give them a little bit more time uh, to to get reset, to fully process things, get refocused, and be able to to take on their next game uh, with adequate time and preparation. Um and then an interesting note out of Oklahoma City, technically Newport Beach, where this uh, police investigation was taking place, uh, the Josh Giddy situation. Uh, police investigation into Josh Giddy's alleged inappropriate relationship uh, with a minor. That 
investigation revealed that it was unable to corroborate any criminal activity. Um, so that's kind of the end of that uh, investigation uh, in in regards to police. However, a couple of things. I did see that the NBA is doing their own investigation into the matter. And it's worth noting, this is not official by any means, but I remember reading something online. So again, grain of salt, but um, something to the effect that the uh, the person in question that Giddy had the relationship with, the minor, um, either them or their family, they were not super, you know, interested in the investigation in a sense. Um, they had other motives or they um, and didn't think that there was any wrongdoing by Giddy. Um, it was hard to parse, to parse out exactly what the situation was, but um, the, the thing that I read was something to the extent that the, because the family uh, didn't want to really work with uh, the police in a, a full sense of, you know, here's exactly what happened or this, this thing was wrong and, and we want to, you know, make sure this happens, you know, maybe they felt like it wasn't a, as big of a problem. Um, for whatever reason, the investigation wasn't able to come up with a, a concrete, um, you know, criminal charge or anything to that extent. And again, this is a lot of speculation. I wish I had kind of saved the note of what I saw, to be able to report on it a little bit more clearly and less vaguely. Um, but it is interesting. If there's any more updates on that type of front, surely if there's an NBA investigation now, uh, we will keep you updated with any news that comes out with that. But it's interesting. I don't think this saga with the Josh Giddy off the court situation is going away uh, with the end of this investigation. So we'll just have to see what comes of it. Uh, finally, on a lighter note, the uh, final 2024 NBA All-Star voting returns have been announced. Um, there is still... Uh, today and tomorrow, uh, of course, for your purposes, probably by the time you're listening to this tomorrow, Saturday, the 20th, the last day for voting. So you can still get your final votes in. Um, the starters will be announced on TNT on Thursday, the 25th as part of their broadcasting. Real quick, those returns, uh, much of the same, you know, Giannis and LeBron lead the voting in the East and the West, respectively. Uh, you've got Halliburton and Young and Lillard still leading the guards in the East. Embiid, Tatum, Butler, those guys are still uh, towards the top in the East front court. Um, in the West front court, Jokic, Durant, Davis, Leonard join LeBron. Uh, the guards, Luka, Curry, SGA, James Harden, uh, Kyrie Irving. Much of the same there. Uh, I don't really think there's any big names. Of course, a guy like Austin Reeves is still 10th um, because of the, the the Laker fans and and their love for Reeves. Um, he's not quite an all-star level <laughs> in his play, but, you know, fun to see those type of votes. Wembenyama and Holmgren still in top 10 in the front court in the West as well. Um, otherwise, fairly straightforward, Derek White, seventh in the vote in the Eastern Conference. Um, I think there's a decent chance he gets in as a Eastern Conference reserve. He's had a great season for them. Boston, of course, has played great. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if that happens. But otherwise, be sure to tune in. Um, not an advertisement for TNT, but that's, I know that's where I'm tuning in um, on Thursday to see who actually makes it to the uh, starting lineup. And then from there, it's a coach's vote to name 
the reserves for the All-Star game. Um, real quick before we jump into our next segment, I wanted to comment on who my picks would be for the starters uh, at this point in the East and the West. We'll start with the East. Uh, backcourt, the guards. For me, of course, Tyrese Halliburton. He's earned that with his play, the in-season tournament, but also uh, for the whole season, uh, the assist to turnover numbers, his play in elevating the Pacers. He's, you know, a top 15 MVP type candidate. Uh, certainly not really uh, in the same mix as like SGA, who has the Thunder in the top two in the West. Um, but you could make a real dark horse case for Tyrese Halberton, but they've been great. So he's an easy pick. And then I went with Donovan Mitchell. Um, a lot of people in the East probably, yeah, are going to go more. Um, maybe they'd go Tyrese Maxey um, or they'd go Lillard, of course. Uh, but Mitchell has been, uh, well, statistically a little more impressive, but importantly, he's kept the Cavaliers competitive in the East with injury troubles, and he's been getting better as the season got, has gone on. So I like Mitchell as that pick. And then the front court, um, really no debate here. Uh, Joel Embiid, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Jason Tatum. There's not really any other name um, next to those three that jumps out as much. Those three guys, MVP-level candidates, belong in those spots. In the Western Conference, your guards, I went with Luka Doncic and Shea Gilchrist-Alexander. Pretty easy choice, even with Steph Curry still playing at a, a, a great level. I don't think he'd be a starter this year. Uh, those two guys have just been better all round. And then your front court, uh, Jokic, of course. And then I went with Durant and Anthony Davis. I know that it's a little bit of heresy for many uh, to not have LeBron as a starter. But statistically, um, and especially with the Lakers not playing as well, I don't think that he would, in terms of you know best players so far, I don't feel like he would fit there compared to Durant. The Suns have been a touch better. Statistically, Durant's been better. And then Anthony Davis has been the better Laker teammate. So that's where I'd go with that. Um, Legacy-wise, of course, LeBron would easily be the best player on this board. He's arguably uh, the greatest player of all time, depending on who you ask. Um, certainly a top three or four player of all time. But, you know, for this our purposes this season, he hasn't been quite in that same category. And so that's why I would go with Durant and Anthony Davis alongside Nicole Jokic. So anyways, those are my quick thoughts on that. Just thought I would share that. Um, but that being said, let's go ahead and jump into our next segment, our main segment for our Friday episode, our franchise focus. Franchise focus. Okay, so I was thinking about this uh, in recent weeks with our last couple of franchise focuses, and of course we want to go more in-depth on a specific franchise, but I think that we've done that maybe a little bit too much, and I more just mean that I've been rambling a little bit with some topics, um, and that's not to say that when I'm talking about Jerry West for 20 minutes that he doesn't deserve that 20 minutes. Of course, any player or team that I'm talking about is noteworthy and you could spend a lot of time talking about them. But for our purposes, I think I'm going to try and scale that back a touch. I think it would be better for us to, you know, make sure franchise focus stays a little bit more um, structured in the sense of time and uh, getting to each segment 
uh, in a decent time and making sure that we're not a little bit too verbose with some of these segments. So I'm just, just keep that in mind. Memphis fans, of course, we're doing the Memphis Grizzlies today. Memphis fans, if this is shorter than the Lakers uh, or the Clippers proceeding, it's just because I'm trying to rein it back into what it was. Uh, the Lakers and, and Clippers and some of those recent ones got a little more out of control just because I got rambling and I just wanted to be a little bit more focused. So I'm going to keep a closer eye on the clock and we're going to start with the Memphis Grizzlies, of course, starting with the recent teams and uh, this season and the outlook going forward. And this is a team that's been getting better every season, 50 plus wins the last two seasons. Um, 2022 was a great year for them. 56 and 26, 68%, uh, of their games won. They made it to the conference semifinals and lost, uh, of course, to uh, the Warriors. But, you know, they've been uh, a great team. They were still good in 23 last season, 51 and 31, lost in the first round. Um, but this season, of course, 50, uh, 15 and 26, 36% winning uh, percentage so far. They're 13th in the West. And, um, of course, John Morant's absence has been a big, big factor. I don't think it's the only factor. It's far from the only factor. It might not even be, might not even be the main factor because this team has talent around Jaw. Jaw's played nine games. Um, he's out for the rest of the season, so that's his year. Uh, and he averaged twenty-five points, eight assists, five and a half boards. Um, percentages okay-ish, not the great three-point shooting numbers, but we don't expect him to be great. But he was still uh, worse than we've seen from him, but still solid when he played. Um, but firstly, they have talent around them. That's my bigger point. Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson Jr. have been very good this year. Bain, 24 points, uh, five assists, four and a half rebounds, uh, 38% from three. And then Jaron Jackson Jr., the reigning defensive player of the year, 21 and a half points, uh, 5.7 rebounds, 1.7 blocks, and nearly a steal a game, 33% from three. Those two guys are still playing well. They've missed a lot of time for Marcus Smart. He's been okay when he's played. Uh, two steals a game, 14 points, four assists, three rebounds. Not quite the same level of impact that he had in Boston, but he's still good. Um, I think that uh, the clear and obvious answer for what's wrong with Memphis, along with missing jaw first due to the suspension, now due to the injury, um, is injuries full stop. Their injury report is just devastating. Uh, Steven Adams has been out for this whole season. He won't play this season. That's their starting center. Bain is now out for six weeks. That's your starting shooting guard and your leading scorer this season for the most part with without John Morant. Brandon Clark uh, is expected to debut in February sometime. He hasn't played yet this season. That's your best backup big uh, arguably, you know, maybe you say Xavier Tillman's pretty good too, but Brandon Clark is better. I would say a little more versatile too. Uh, Jake Laravia, your second year forward is out for three weeks. So there's a little bit of depth. Uh, John Moran, of course, out for the season. That's your star, your team's MVP, your starting point guard. Derek Rose is week to week with a hamstring injury. That's your veteran backup, former MVP point guard. Marcus Smart is out again for approximately six weeks. Uh, and that's your former defensive player of the year you brought in to bring stability to the guards, especially when you lose guys like Morant for a little bit or, or Derek Rose. But now you don't have any of those guys. Um, 
so it's just how do you how do you do it? Let's look at the lineup with all the injured players at the current moment out. Let me see if I can see what that lineup looks like. So no Morant, no Bain, no Smart, no Rose, no Laravia, uh, no Brandon Clark, and no Steven Adams, of course. They haven't played all year. So then you have Jaron Jackson Jr. starting maybe at center, uh, but hard to say for sure. Um, you could say Bismack Biombo at center, but they recently let him go. So he's, I don't think, on the roster anymore. Um, so then you would have... Oh, who would they have? Santi Aldama or Xavier Tillman in there. Those are all right guys. They're serviceable. But more to the point, before I go too in-depth on this, they are starting the bench guys, generally speaking. And the bench guys are now guys that it's good for them to get opportunities, but this is just a season that slowly is becoming um, lost, lost in time. And it's funny because it feels like 2018 or 2017, somewhere in there for the Grizzlies, they had a similar season where they just had massive injuries. And I'm not sure what it is, but sometimes that happens, you know, and it it's just kind of a season lost. Um, maybe let's focus on what does it mean next for Memphis? What does it mean for the following year, this upcoming season, the 24-25 season? Uh, that feels a little weird. I mean, 2024 still feels weird, so 2025 feels, you know, very odd. But what does that mean for that team when they hopefully get job back, who would then now be working back in from injury versus just back on the floor from suspension? I don't know. I think it's it's interesting. I thought the Marcus Smart move was interesting to begin with. As much as I like Marcus Smart, generally speaking, the fit wasn't certain. It's like, is he a starter alongside John Morant? What does that mean for Desmond Bain? If he's coming off the bench, he's not really a six man. You know, it's good to have defense off the bench, but I guess a backup point guard would be good. But then why do you have Derek Rose? Rose is now a reserve point guard. I guess he's gotten to that point of his career. And that's interesting. Then it's, you know, are Steven Adams is Steven Adams going to be as effective as he was nearly two seasons ago? Cause it's been almost that amount of time by the time you get to the next season. Um, for Memphis, for me right now, there's just a lot more questions and answers. Um, I'm glad that with Morant, it's more, I'm not glad that he's injured of course, but it's, it's not a, you know, something that's like, why are you doing this? It, could be within your control to not do this thing that's causing you to not play and be suspended. You know, it, it's relieving in that sense, but of course it's devastating that he's injured. So I don't know. I'm, I'm rambling again, but my point is with Memphis, they have one of the bright stars and exciting. I mean, exhilarating when he plays point guards above the rim uh, excitement and athleticism, but also play that with great pieces around him has led to winning basketball. We've seen that. So Morant can be a guy on a winning team, of course. So you get Morant back around him is Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson Jr. That's been a winning combination around that. 
this season could be helpful in developing guys like Vince Williams Jr., who just got a, a new contract, uh, a reserve guard who's getting more of an opportunity. Um, it's helpful to guys like Santi Aldama and David Roddy and Zaire Williams, who are getting more run to further develop and be solid bench pieces. Um, Luke Kennard continues to become the deadly three-point shooter that we figured he would be at some point. So that's a nice piece to have. Xavier Tillman is a solid overachiever as a backup big. Um, It's just the health question now. And I think that's better than what it could be, Um, but it's still concerning for Memphis. And it's, it's a frustrating turn for them, certainly from last season where it's like, Hey, they've got a great core. They just need to, you know, continue to, to grow. And maybe they make a small move here and there to add veteran pieces um, they've brought in veteran pieces, but now they don't have the team on the floor long enough to really give them the tutelage they need. So it's like a wait till next season thing. And so now it's more up in the air. It's a little more concerning, but um, it's just kind of on hold. You, you think about you've, you've put them, you've, you've put the hopes of the team, the the playoff hopes and the, the future of the team uh, on delay you know, you've saved it for the future. You've, you've put it in the freezer or something like that. Um, and it's not great because you, you take that, that team out of the freezer for next season. They've still aged a bit. They've lost a year of that time. Um, but I don't know, not a great analogy. What I'm saying is it's a little more up in the air, despite a, a talented, you know, cast of characters, a season like this is concerning. Maybe there's a small question of, of you know, training staff and why did this happen? Why so many energy injuries? Was it you know correlated at all? Was it uh, coincidence? Um, it's hard to say, but it, it's it's bizarre for for Memphis. But you know, sometimes with the Grizzlies, they seem as we kind of transition to our our next segment, the Grizzlies are a team that will break out for moments and then it doesn't work out for whatever reason it ends quickly um whatever the case may be of course as a franchise they have a below 500 winning percentage we know that um they've had great teams and of course we've talked about their their first great team the 04 grizzlies that had 50 wins um which was just unheard of for the grizzlies at that time big part of that, the work of Jerry West, like we talked about as a GM, uh, Hubie Brown as a head coach, um, turnaround a culture and showed Memphis and, and the Grizzlies franchise that they could have a winning team. Um, and they had that through the early two thousands, lost it into the late two thousands and then kind of started fresh. They brought in, uh, a fairly young, um, but proven big in Zach Randolph. Uh, well, he was, more kind of in his prime at that point. Um, they had the next Gasol brother and Mark Gasol, who we talked about extensively on last year's franchise focus um, as the franchise notable player. Um, and then they drafted guys around that. They had a solid head coach in Lionel Hollins. And that led to the 2013 season, which then became their next greatest team. And arguably, I think probably still 
their best team they've had in their franchise history. The 2012-2013 Memphis Grizzlies, 56 wins, 26 losses. Again, Lionel Hollins, head coach, former player uh, on, I believe, the 77 Trailblazers. I just got to make sure I uh, double-check that. Yes, the champion with those 77 Trailblazers. So champion as a player, knew what it took to, to bring winning basketball to a team. And was a great coach for Memphis. I don't know why it didn't last. Um, but again, this team led by Zach Randolph, Mark Gasol, they weren't the leading scorers. That was Rudy Gay, uh, 17 points a game, but that wasn't even the full season. He was a, a midseason trade. And let me see if I can remember the exact details of this trade. Um, yeah, to Toronto. That was a brief stint in Toronto for the end of one season and the beginning of another. Um, a three-team trade traded with the uh, with Hamed Haddadi by the Grizzlies to the Raptors. Pistons traded Austin Day and Tayshon Prince to the Memphis Grizzlies. And then the Grizzlies traded Jose Calderon to the Pistons. And uh, Raptors traded Calderon, Ed Davis, uh, and a pick to the Grizzlies, a second-round pick. What that meant, though, was they then had a veteran forward in Tayshaun Prince as their starting small forward. Uh, Conley, Randolph, and Gasol became the leading scorers, 17 points each per game in the playoffs. A little different era of basketball offensively, and especially for this team, that was the identity. This was the best identity team of any Grizzlies team, along with being their best you know, franchise team. This was the, the height of grit and grind. They were a physical team defensively oriented they were going to keep possessions low almost like you know a a football coach who's going to control the game on the ground and and control the the time of possession you kind of think of it like that they had physical uh traditional bigs inside and Gasol and Randolph who were rebounders and defenders Gasol was a defensive player of the year type player I think it might have been this very season um if not the next city one defensive player of the year. Um, and outside of uh, Gasol, Randolph and Conley, there was only a one other double figure score and that was Tony Allen. And even he especially was more defensively inclined. Uh, a lot of those points probably transition points off of steals, two steals a game for him, uh, six rebounds. It was a very much an antithesis of a modern day lineup in terms of what we expect for teams nowadays, this team was was physical first, defensive second. Um, scoring, three-point shooting was not an expectation. Conley shot 28% from three in the playoffs. In the season, I'm sure he shot a lot better. He shot, yeah, 36% from three. Um, Rudy Gay was their better three-point shooter. I mean, Tayshaun Prince, 36% was solid, but he was attempting one three a game. Uh, Conley attempted about four a game by far their leader. They had a couple of guys who attempted a couple of game off the bench in Bayless and Pondexter. Uh, Wayne Ellington was uh, a better three point shooter, but I think he was a trade as well. Uh, Davis was brought in for that rebounding presence and blocks off the bench. They had Darrell Arthur, a bigger guy. I mean, it was just, just size and, uh, athleticism and length was kind of the focus for this team. Again, the opposite of a team like the 2000 Suns or uh, a lot of the teams now with their high 
high-powered offenses. Memphis wanted to slow things down, control things offensively, um, you know, use up clock, get efficient shots inside as best they could. But more importantly, they wanted to make things difficult, even if they weren't a staunch, you know, best shot blocking team or best steals team. They wanted to just, you know, mix things up and make it difficult and frustrating for you to work offensively. And that was a recipe for success. And and it worked 56 wins and they dominated their first two playoff series uh, for the most part. I mean, a six game series against the Clippers, four games to two. And then the conference semifinals, they upset the thunder four games to one. Certainly worth noting that they were without the thunder were without uh, Russell Westbrook for most of that playoff run. It was Durant having to do a lot of things on his own. And that was the first year without James Harden, but still getting to that conference finals. Very impressive. It ended kind of abruptly a sweep in the conference finals versus the San Antonio Spurs. Um, Of course, the Spurs would go on to lose in the finals to the Miami heat. Uh, so take with that what you will, but it was still a great run for this Grizzlies team. Um, and it's still the best team they've had. You know, some of that is simply due to the fact that the Grizzlies are not a very old franchise. And um, that's worth noting, 29 seasons. Um, but still a great team. It's a lot of fun to talk about. I think there's probably plenty of... Um, YouTube uh, video essay type things that can break down a little bit more about this 2013 Grizzly squad. Um, of course, we've talked about Mark Gasol in detail. Um, Mike Conley still continues to to be an impact player, but a lot of these other guys are have retired or uh, are basically out of the league at this point. Um, Conley still was the youngest. He he got his chops as a, a leading point guard, 17.7 assists. And that was a legacy that led to him being one of the better point guards in the NBA for a long time. Um, was an all-star, of course, in Utah. That was a great um, moment for him to finally be named an all-star after some some years of of great, consistent point guard play in Memphis. Now he's in Minnesota. And he's the leader on the floor running the offense for a team that has a chance to be one of the top teams in the West again. And so it's coming, kind of coming full circle. I think that's a fun way to to close out our, our historic team that we're talking about. And a good way to segue, one of the other great players and their defensive anchor, Mark Gasol, our former uh, or our last franchise focus on the Grizzlies, we focused on Mark Gasol. He was the second Gasol in Grizzlies history. We're going to start, we're going to talk about Pau Gasol, the uh, player who helped make winning possible full stop in Memphis. Mark had the, was part of the best team in Grizzlies franchise history, but Mark was the one on the teams that helped make winning possible for the Grizzlies franchise, something they hadn't done yet. Pau, the older brother, uh, the fellow Spaniard, of course, uh, just what a great what a great guy all around a versatile player, power forward, mainly um, later in his career played more center because of the way the game evolved. Um, but seven footer with great versatility and an interesting life. He originally growing up wanted to be 
uh, a doctor and work on uh, finding a cure for uh, HIV and AIDS because he was a basketball fan growing up. And when he remembers seeing um, or hearing the announcement that Magic Johnson uh, was HIV positive, that was an inspiration for Gasol, not as a basketball player, but in the medical field. He wanted to be a doctor and, and find a cure for that. Um, he actually did enroll in medical school at the University of Barcelona, uh, but left once he figured out that, hey, my playing career is taking off. This could probably take me places um, that could, you know, that could do well for me, especially at a time where the NBA was much more expanding to the international player. Uh, and so it was it was a very good decision. He was drafted in 2001 uh, to the the Grizzlies, it was their first year in Memphis, I believe. Let me go ahead and double check that. Um, yes. Drafted to the Grizzlies who had just barely moved to Memphis from Vancouver. Um, and he became the first foreign player to win the rookie of the year and was an all rookie first team member as well. Averaged about 17 and a half points along with nine rebounds a game. Um, he also played in all 82 games that season. One of only a few, or, you know, he's the only one on that all rookie team actually to play um, in all of the games that season. He did battle injuries at various points, um, but he started off very durable, only missing a, a couple of games across his first few seasons. Um, but again, he was the star on those teams that figured out how to win with a veteran head coach in Hubie Brown. Um, those teams around him had like, you know, Jason Williams, um, uh, James Posey, I think might've been in there. Um, but he was the, the leader of those squads, uh, scoring wise and, you know, star player wise, he was far and away the best. Um, after a while, Grizzly stagnate a little bit and he becomes a trade piece and he gets moved on to the Lakers where he turns the Lakers, uh, into he didn't turn them into, but it was hit the move for him that elevated them from what Kobe could do, dragging them into the playoffs with a first round exit, maybe a second round exit. Gasol was finally that secondary piece that Kobe needed to be able to get to championships uh, after the departure of Shaq in 2004. So Gasol went on to great, went on to great success in, uh, in Los Angeles. He has his Jersey, uh, in the rafters in Los Angeles with the Lakers, such a legendary franchise, both with Kobe. Um, well, actually, the, his whole career was with Kobe, um, with various rosters around him and Kobe. He was always a great player there, got a chance to really show, and he was maybe even at his best in Los Angeles. Um, after that, he went on to Chicago and was still effective, then to San Antonio and Milwaukee, where his career kind of dwindled down played a little bit internationally for a year or two after his NBA career before retiring full stop. Um, of course, internationally, international basketball, he's been very decorated uh, with uh, the Spanish team and Olympics. Um, his personal life's interesting along with the whole medical thing. He just seems like a bit of a Renaissance man uh, with interests in learning different languages. Um, he, uh, it reads historical novels, plays classical music. Uh, he attends concerts, operas, you know, a lover of arts uh, in a sense. But again, the, well, and we can even talk, you know, work, uh, Gasol Foundation, 
Um, he's been just a, a great guy all around. And again, a lot of that, especially coming with Los Angeles and the Lakers and, and thereafter, but it started in Memphis, you know, uh, of course he had a great career at, uh, you know, FC Barcelona in the late nineties, very early two thousands. But once he got to Memphis and he was a, a rookie of the year, that's kind of where the career took off and that's where things took off for Memphis. And I think it's a, it was a great pairing, you know, they made a great draft choice. Um, and I don't think that draft was particularly great. That Oh, one draft class from remembering correctly. Let me see if I can find that for you because Oh, one, I want to say that was Kwame Brown. Um, yeah. Kwame Brown first overall. There was valuable players. There was Tyson Chandler, Jason Richardson, Shane Battier, uh, Joe Johnson, of course, is in here. Richard Jefferson. There's quality players here. They got the best pick, and, and Zach Randolph was in this draft class as well, interestingly enough. But uh, I would argue they got the best pick in, uh, in Pau Gasol. He became the rookie of the year, and it was a right draft choice for a franchise that needed it. And then they brought in the right supporting pieces to make that a winning team. Gasol became an elevated player. And from there he was able to branch off into championships and, uh, you know, supporting communities and, and doing all these things, but it started with Memphis and the Grizzlies and uh, the Grizzlies got their start as a great, you know, a, a team that could win and a franchise that could win with Pau Gasol. And so I think that's a great way to kind of end it as two forces coming together at the right time for each other to elevate each other and then go on from there and find success uh, in, in their different paths. And so that's how we'll wrap it up again, hopefully a little bit more uh, succinct and, and well-stated, I, I guess, uh, than our previous franchise focuses that dragged on a little bit, maybe. Um, but yeah, Grizzly is an interesting one. Of course, next time. Uh, oh, who are we talking about next time? I want to say, it's like the Timberwolves, maybe. Uh, it's an M something. No, it's Miami. We're talking about the Miami Heat next. That'll be on next week's franchise focus next Friday. So definitely uh, stay tuned for that. But with that, we will go ahead and jump into our next segment, our Fantasy Friday segment, which will be very brief as well. Okay, as far as my team goes, um, again, did not do the greatest job of updating lineups uh, much of this week, but it hasn't seemed to matter. I'm in the same boat as my opponent, who is Justin, of course, one of other uh, podcast hosts, more so last season than this season, just due to his you know work and, and school commitments. Um, but we're actually tied four and eight record overall, um, which is a three-way tie for second worst in the league. Uh, worst record is two and 10. Definitely a rough season there. I don't think that roster has been updated very much either. Uh, leading team 11 and one, uh, the, the team that makes easily the most moves of anyone in the league. Um, but again, I'm trying to make some moves happen. I recently proposed a trade or no, I just did a, a player add a drop. I, I remember thinking, Oh, I'm going to see who has this player and propose a trade. No one had him, and so I signed a player, dropped another. I'll talk about him with our 
our movers because he's one in there. And I was putting it together and I thought, you know, maybe I'd like to try and bring him in to shake things up, give my team an opportunity. Um, if he, his new opportunity ends up uh, panning out, but otherwise again, yeah, Jokic is carrying the team. Otherwise, you know, holiday Irving, uh, Donovan Mitchell, especially DeMar DeRozan and Paolo Bencaro, those guys are still playing well, but Jokic's stats. I mean, there's many weeks where he's the leading points guy in the week and he's stuck on a team in my league that is losing at the moment, but this week I'm ahead so far. So that's good to see. Um, and I'll keep you guys updated on this move and I'll go ahead and get into what this move is that I made. And we'll do that with our, our movers, movers and shakers for the uh, last couple of weeks or so, starting with Larry Markinen. I have to do it a little bit, um, but it's earned. It's not just a homerism thing. His points have been up, his rebounding's been up, as well as his efficiency, especially from three-point range um, over the past couple of weeks. As the Jazz have been winning and he's been more available, he's been playing better, scoring more. Uh, it very much goes hand-in-hand. Hand. And that should stay a little more steady, especially if he can remain on the floor uh, and the Jazz can be more consistent. Uh, not It's not just a big jump. You know, they're consistently winning and and at least staying steady uh, in the top half of the Western Conference. I think that's a, a good look for Markin in there. A faller, I went with Zion Williamson for the Pelicans. Uh, scoring and rebounds were down. The field goal percentage just technically down, uh, maybe about, a, you know, a percent, really not much. But uh, for me, it's more that the Pelicans, they started the month with great momentum and now they're slipping again. And it's been a little more up and down. Um, Zion has had games where, you know, oh, it's a productive game. And then the next game, it's it's infamous for, you know, some free throw struggles or it's, you know, a low scoring game like in the in-season tournament games in, in Vegas. It's, it's some of these things where he's on the floor more consistently and that's been great. But the. Uh, the production level hasn't been as, as steady, steadily stellar, maybe as we'd like to see. So I have Zion there as a faller. And then as a sleeper, I went with RJ Barrett. And this is the player that I picked up. His scoring and assists and his field goal percentage, along with three-point percentage, all of that's been up uh, since he got to Toronto, and especially the last couple of weeks, which is kind of expected. Of course, he's going to be relied on for more of a scoring workload. But especially with the Siakam trade, you know, now you're starting Scotty Barnes, who can score. He can be a 20-point scorer, but R.J. Barrett is more, his play style is as a scorer. Gary Trent Jr. will get more opportunity alongside him, but those two guys being your leading scorers especially, you know, I think that you're going to see points go up for Barrett. You're going to see assists go up, and if the field goal percentage and three-point percentage can stay high, he could very much increase in value. So that's why I'm going with RJ Barrett as a sleeper this time around. That's the move I just made. And we'll very much so get some updates on if Barrett pans out for me on my personal fantasy team. But that's it for our uh, Fantasy Friday segment. Again, very brief. We'll also do a very brief segment, this time checking back in on our weekly predictions to see what we've talked about, see what might be uh, coming to fruition this season or what might not happen at all. Um, I did make a prediction a, a few weeks ago about the Knicks jumping into the top three in the Eastern Conference by the end of January. They're in the fifth spot right now, three games behind third. So that could happen. They have a little less than half the month to do it. Um, 
what else did we have? Uh, Katie Cunningham becoming a trade target. I don't know if we're quite there at this point, but hard to rule anything out with still a little bit to go to the trade deadline. Paolo Carroll making his first all-star game this season. I think I could be accurate there. Um, the Warriors making a splash before the trade deadline. Why it could be accurate there too. We still have time before the deadline. Hard to say. Um, Keontae George making the all rookie first team. That doesn't seem quite as strong. Um, he had a strong week or two and then has waned a bit as uh, Sexton and other guys have stepped up. So that might not be looking as great for me. Um, and then let's go back one more week. Uh, week seven, Kyle Kuzma will be involved in a surprise trade to, before the deadline. Again, we've still got time for that. I guess this check-in on our predictions is more of a reminder about we have a lot of thoughts about what could happen at the trade deadline. There's already been some moves, the, the Siakam trade most recently and most especially. Um, so we're going to continue to have that conversation up to uh, the all-star break and, and the trade deadline itself. It'll be a recurring theme. So uh, certainly something to watch out for. Otherwise, let's jump into our final main segment, our weekend forecast, the games upcoming this weekend. All the times that I will give for these games are in Eastern Standard Time. So keep that in mind as you're, uh, planning any schedules around these games on Saturday. We have eight games. None of them are national broadcasts. So we'll start uh, with the three o'clock game. Uh, the Detroit Pistons hosting the Milwaukee Bucks. That's the first of a home and home series. Actually, the other game on Monday, uh, but three o'clock Pistons hosting the Bucks in Detroit. Then two games at seven, the Wizards host the San Antonio Spurs. And then also the Philadelphia 76ers are in Charlotte against the Hornets. Two games at 7.30, Knicks host the Raptors, and then the Atlanta Hawks host the Cleveland Cavaliers. Of course, Knicks-Raptors will reunite teams with their, their or players with their former teams, but it's still interesting with the whole Knicks-Raptors uh, courtroom debacle, um, and oh, they've leaked all these sensitive documents. It's it's interesting. We'll have to see if, if anything happens there with James Dolan and all that. I don't think anything would, but you never know. You never know what happens with the Knicks. Um and then, yeah, Cavs-Hawks uh, should be interesting as well. Uh, Trey Young and DeShante Murray versus Donovan Mitchell. And then uh, 8 o'clock, Timberwolves host the Thunder. That's definitely going to be a game to watch out for. Uh, your two top teams in the West facing off against each other. Not sure who wins that one. You know, Thunder have been maybe a touch more hot lately, uh, but the Timberwolves have been the better team overall record-wise throughout, throughout the year. So very intriguing stuff. Also at eight, the Houston Rockets host the Utah Jazz. Again, that's local access, Jazz Plus or uh, KJazz on local Utah cable channels. Finally, uh, your final game at eight o'clock, the Chicago Bulls host the Memphis Grizzlies. Those are your Saturday games. On Sunday, we have six games total, no national broadcasts again. Uh, so we'll start at 3.30, the LA Clippers hosting the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, James Harden against his former team. At 6 o'clock, the Wizards host the Nuggets. And then also at 6, the Orlando Magic hosts the Miami Heat, another Southeast Division matchup. At 7 o'clock, the Houston Rockets host the Boston Celtics. Boston going to Houston this time around to face their former coach in Ime Udoka. At 8 o'clock, the Phoenix Suns host the Indiana Pacers. Again, Siakam probably playing in that game alongside Halliburton, hopefully. Um against Durant and Booker and Beal. That should be a very intriguing game. And then finally at 10 o'clock, the Los Angeles Lakers host the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, interesting, interesting stuff. West Coast matchup. And then finally on Monday, there's eight games total, two national broadcasts, an NBA TV doubleheader. Firstly at 7.30, 
or seven o'clock rather, the Philadelphia 76ers host the San Antonio Spurs. And then at 10 o'clock, the uh, Sacramento Kings host the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, Kevin Herter against his former team in Atlanta. And then uh, Wembenyama in Philly versus Joel Embiid. Intriguing games there. Your remaining games, your Orlando Magic are at home against the Cleveland Cavaliers at seven. Also at seven, that second game of the home and home series uh, for the Pistons against the Milwaukee Bucks. And then at 7.30, the Toronto Raptors host the Memphis Grizzlies, a matchup of your two 1995 expansion teams. At 8 o'clock, the Minnesota Timberwolves host the Charlotte Hornets. At 8.30, the Mavericks host the Boston Celtics. Um, Kyrie versus his former Boston teammates uh, is is interesting as well, but also Luka versus the top team in the East. Then finally at 9 o'clock, the Phoenix Suns host the Chicago Bulls in a rematch of the the 93 NBA finals, um, but Durant versus uh, DeRozan, intriguing stuff. Some of the older uh, greats in our league, uh, former all-stars. So interesting stuff there. There's a lot of uh, intriguing matchups this weekend. Uh, definitely a lot to check out if you're looking for, for some games to watch, but that is it for that segment. We'll go and wrap things up with our, this day in history fact, January 19th of 2000. We're going back to the year 2000 for this one. January 19th of 2000, uh, Michael Jordan, who led the Chicago Bulls to six NBA championships as a player, returned to the NBA as he joined the Washington Wizards as part owner and president of basketball operations, overseeing all aspects of the team. Just still interesting that note with Washington, the, the 2001 draft with Kwame Brown, and then returning to play for the Wizards for two seasons, the sometimes forgotten moment of maybe the greatest player of all time as well, Michael Jordan. Um, But with that, that is our show for today. We want to thank you again for listening. We really appreciate it. We'll be back with you, of course, uh, this next Monday for our normal Monday show, your, your game summaries, the weekly uh, power rankings at weekly MVP DEFCON levels. I anticipate we'll have Wyatt back on for the, for that episode. So that should be uh, good. We're looking forward to that. But again, thank you all for listening and we'll be back with you on Monday. <laughs>